0: Hi, Mark. It is super awesome to have you here on Remember the Plug. You know, it's always a pleasure just spending time with you and getting to learn from you. I'm like for for quite a few years, I have uh, sat under your guidance, under your teaching as one of my key mentors in my own life. So, so really, thank you for being here at Remember the Plug event. It's an absolute pleasure. And like you,
1: I enjoy spending time with you. So, you know, great to be here. Yes,
0: cool. So so there are some people who don't know who is John Mike. You know, so so I just want you to just say a brief, you know, like your name, who you are, and just a sneak bit of some of the stuff that you have done so that we, we, we can put everything into perspective for someone who doesn't know who is John Mike.
1: Okay, so I started in the industry while I was serving in the South African Navy, doing my national service.
0: Yeah.
1: Started doing a bit of club work, um, helping out with DJs in clubs in Cape Town. Yes. Uh, Then, rather fortuitously, my sister became a rock star. Yes. (laughs) um, And she was very famous in South Africa, a band called Elemental. Yeah. Her name was Heather Mack. Yeah. Um, so I started working as a roadie for them when on their December tour, they, uh, they lost their one of their audio guys. Got you. Uh, so what happened was I went AWOL, that's absent without leave from the Navy for my last two weeks of service, and went on tour with my sister's band. Gotcha. Um, During that time on the tour, I moved from Cape Town to Johannesburg and I then started picking up bits of work uh, with various different bands. Apart from my sister's band, I worked with a band called Tribe After Tribe. I worked with um, the Genuines. I also worked on a large outdoor township concert rig called the Line Lager Road Show, where I got some great experience working with Brenda Fassi, Sepo Hot Sticks, Mabusa. And in the and
0: I think I've seen a mix uh, <laughs> written Line Lager Roadshow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the 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 Line Lager Roadshow was probably one of the it was the the biggest sound rig in the country that regularly worked. It was sponsored by the by by the breweries. So, promoters could get a really good deal ah. on hiring a stage, sound system, and also a sort of accommodation truck as well. Gotcha. So it, 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 was a, it was a great learning curve to work on that show gotcha. because it was wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It was <laughs> gotcha. Bands were on and off that stage. We used to do changeovers in between five and 10 minutes and just, you kept going. Damn. Uh, We used to play to audiences, anything from 20,000 up to 100,000. Wow. Using that
0: rig. And and now, before we get into some of that work, uh, can you tell us a bit about your background, like childhood, where you grew up, up until you got into the industry? Well, I grew up in Cape Town,
1: uh, in a suburb called Rondebosch. Went to Rondebosch Boys High for 12 years of my life. From sub A to metric, uh very normal. <laughs> <laughs> it was very normal. <laughs> you know, we yeah. did the normal teenage crazy stuff, but yes. uh, it, it was when I got into the Navy doing my national service that I really started getting involved in in the industry, you know, So I dabbled in playing a bit of guitar and stuff, oh, but gotcha. I was useless. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All
0: right. So, 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 um, when you got into the industry, right? Because for me, you are like one of the people who basically uh, laid the foundation to what the professional industry is. And still, still inspires to what the the industry is, basically in South Africa and also across Africa. So, but but now I just want to, I just want to understand like, how long did it take from that first part of you helping your sister, working with your sister, to becoming that person very influential in a, also a big organization? And you know, I'm like, so, so how long was that timeline? Out of interest.
1: Well. <laughs> Strangely enough, I was, after getting involved, within about <clears throat> four weeks of me being in Johannesburg, I was working with my sister's front of house engineer, a gentleman by the name of John Shaughnessy. Yes. Always a, a great mentor to a great many people in both the sort of music industry, the theater industry. He had come from a company called ProSound. ProSound were probably, it was ProSound and Coliseum Acoustics, or Sound Hire as they were known, who were the main players back in the mid eighties. And they'd been around a while and they had a certain level that was pretty good. Uh, Now John Shaughnessy had worked with them. Then John Shaughnessy started freelancing again and was doing many bands so one night he turned around to me and he said it was one of the opening acts you couldn't make this band sound any worse than they do already i'm going to go and have a glass of wine so he left and left me behind the mixing console and what happened was Robbie Robb of Tribe After Tribe came in at that moment. He was headlining the show. He came to me after the show and and he said, I really liked your mix. Do you want to work for us from now (laughs) on? So that was my first sort of break into actually getting behind a console and mixing. Um, It took that, it was that quick.
0: It was four weeks.
1: (laughs) So, uh, and... I've it, it, always learned on
0: the job. Yeah, you know, in 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 now for me, one one thing I also want to see with with the timelines is um, when I got to to know you, you were you were already one of the most influential people in one of the biggest companies on the continent, and and in a way running things. So for me, I just really wanna want to find that timeline. in between. <laughs> yeah. No, no, like, like I just really want to. Find out like from, yes, the sound engineer and also I know you, you also did a bit of touring as well with, with also other artists to now getting into places where you kind of overly see um, technical production as well. I just want to see how long was that timeline. Okay. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So that took a little bit longer. Yeah. So I, I was a touring sound engineer. I had another huge stroke of luck. Uh, in that both John Shaughnessy and I were asked to uh, start working with Johnny Clegg and Savuka when, they, when Johnny Clegg started that band. So it was a huge stroke of luck because we, we actually started touring in Europe and the States, Southeast Asia, um, South America, Caribbean, We did a lot of touring, which I was then able to make a lot of connections. So I then ended up uh, touring with several U.S. artists, um, Belgian artists, French artists, English artists, um, ranging from jazz to heavy metal. So I got a great uh, sort of experience there all the time. During that, I was coming back to South Africa off and on. I spent a couple of years living in, in the UK, a year living in Los Angeles, but I was always coming back to Johannesburg and South Africa, really, um, doing bits and pieces of work in Central Africa at the time. And then I was approached by uh, by Ophelia Pid, actually, and he said of what became GearHouse. He, was, yes. he ran Lighting Unlimited at the time. And he said, I will have a sound company and you will run it. Yeah. <laughs> got you. That was in a hotel room in Maputo, actually. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. So, he... Then there was a bit of a convoluted thing that happened where Ati Van Vaik asked me to buy PA Sound. Oh, gotcha. Which was his sound company, but then... GearHouse was buying Offer's company, so GearHouse decided to buy both companies. Gotcha. So then I started working, finally, for Offer, gotcha. running uh, PA Sound as part of the GearHouse group.
0: Gotcha.
1: And that's how I started at and, GearHouse. And,
0: and just out of interest, like, uh, uh, that moment, that particular move, that moment, uh from the moment of you um doing something for your sister how many years apart is that is that five years is that 10 years is that 15 years it was 11 years 11 years
1: i started okay. in about in, uh, at the beginning of 1985 i started at gear house in mid
0: 1996. you. and then and then i also want another timeline from working with your sister to doing uh, the tours in America with like other bands, that timeline was it like three years, four years, five years?
1: About eighteen months. Ah!
0: Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> absolute... So, so we, so how long were you with your sister before? I, you see, what there, a lot of this
1: overlaps. Oh, got you. Uh, my sister. Got married and had a baby. Yes. At one point. Yeah. Then, so she had a bit of a hiatus in her career there of about five, six months. So I worked with a lot of other bands then. Then what happened was my sister started playing again, and then she got signed by a UK manager by the name of Billy Gaff, who shipped their whole band over to Ireland. Got you. And there was a sort of general plan that I would join them in a couple of years. Yes. It never really came off because by that stage I was, I was touring in Europe and the States already. Got you. Um, yeah, as well, I said, lots of things just fell into place really well, but it's, it's not all luck. You've got to really, really work hard. Got you. You know, uh, there's nothing about, uh, you know, there's nothing about what we do that is simple and easy. It's all about hard work. Got you. You know. Also, I was always someone who I would be sticking my nose into what the lighting guys were doing, what the staging guys were doing, what the riggers were doing. So I managed to broaden my knowledge. So... When I started working at the GearHouse group, that breadth of knowledge, was it was very advantageous to me. Gotcha. And after a couple of years, I was made the branch manager of GearHouse uh, Johannesburg branch. So basically, I was looking after all of the various divisions. So I, I wasn't just... You know, doing audio. I was looking after the lighting division, the AV, rigging, power generators, all of those divisions. Gotcha. Um, I still used to do quite a lot of sound. Yes. Um, Yeah, you know, it's my passion. Different jobs. Yeah, it is is my passion, and I and I I always would sneak off behind the mixing console and irritate
0: people like yourself (laughs) and many other people. Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) So. So
0: um, from, from when you started, uh, now you're still actively uh, working in the industry. Like, you just go back from Rwanda. <laughs> you're working on like different shows. So I just want to know, like, since you started and now, how many years has it been so far you in the industry? Excuse me, arithmetic, yes. 37 years. 37 years, and out of interest, what has made you stay for 37 years in this industry without moving to something else, out of interest? Well,
1: it's a passion of mine, for starters. I, I, really, I really like the music industry. Um, I like most of the people involved in it. Um, I also just, I enjoy working with bands. I also have come to enjoy doing conference work as well. Gotcha. In fact, for the last two months, I have basically done (laughs) conference after conference after conference after conference. (laughs) Yes. Um, But the basics of what one does on a production are all the same. It's the same skill sets. You know, you, you feed off of the knowledge that you've picked up
0: over the years got you and, and now there's something also I just want to get into right there are different people who also claim for example they do what you do and and some of them also have in in terms of a timeline they have like the same experience as in like they've also been doing it for 37 years but you, you've got a certain way that you carry yourself and that you do things and for me from my observation, it's like you've got high standards, high standards for yourself in terms of production and how things are done, things should be done properly. I'm like, what makes you like that? And why are other people a bit like in your, in your own observation from your experience? Okay, I'm a,
1: a bit of a control freak. Okay.
0: Um,
1: I've, over the years, I've seen and I've worked out how things should be done how I call it properly, to to a standard. But also, it's the way that you go about getting things done. Yes. That is important. And it's important to, I feel, have humility and actually engage with all the people around you that you're working with in a way that everyone... Becomes a cohesive team. You know, there's no one person who's more important than the other. Um, that's something that I stamp on very quickly. I, <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm not a fan of prima donna lighting designers or sound engineers, uh, whatever people's roles are. Okay. Uh, to me, everyone's got to be moving in the same direction. And that's the only way you can get things
0: done efficiently. And and also just talking about that, egos, right? Like I've seen someone can be from like Ghana and someone is from Kenya and someone is from Mexico. You do find a few of those ones with egos in their prima donnas, right? So so for me, is it the environment can, can... is it the environment <laughs> or the workspace? No, it's Can a personality. I <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Look, I, yeah. I think it's a
1: personality. And I think as a project manager, technical director, production manager, whatever, whatever role that I might be taking on, I very quickly try and ferret out those people and have a quiet chat with them. Gotcha. you. Because that kind of behavior is counterproductive to to the entire production. Um, Another thing to to just touch upon is that wherever you, you know, I was going to say Africa is a big place. Maybe I should just keep it at that. The world's a big place. Africa is a big place. There are many, many different cultures. For instance, in Central Africa, South Africans are not generally well liked. Because they people from Central Africa feel that we are overbearing and loud. Gotcha. Okay, so as you know, if you're a South African going to another country, you've got to realize that South Africans are very direct, okay, and it doesn't matter if you are white or black or colored or Indian or whatever, South Africans are very direct in how they approach things. It's not the way that all cultures approach these things. So that's why I was saying that humility is a big part of what we do. Approach everything with an absolutely open mind, because uh, you, you have to, you must listen to what, the, uh, what other people are saying. Yeah. Don't just automatically think that you know the answer. 100%. Even
0: if you know the answer. Even if a, you know
1: the answer. <laughs> yes. Sometimes you listen. Yeah. listen. Yeah. It's very good. Uh, if you... If you're communicating with someone yeah. and you involve them in the decision-making, then they buy into that decision far more. Even if you get what you want. Yes. You know, I can guarantee you I'm going to get what I want
0: Yes, most of the <laughs> time. Yes.
1: Okay. However, if you have a discussion about the decision being made, Yes on site somewhere, yeah. and you have a five or 10-minute discussion, it's, that is time well spent. Because having people doing something that you have basically commanded them to do, it'll take twice as
0: long. 100%. Now, from, from your 37 years of experience working, working in the industry, I just want to check. Um, what are some of your most memorable shows that you worked on? You know, and I think it's gonna be quite a few to pick from, but some of your most memorable shows and why? It's maybe just mention three if you can. Okay, well, we did a, you know, several. Yes, yes, I might yes. go on a bit. No, short. No, just pick three, just pick three for me.
1: Okay, yeah. so there was, there was a series of shows that we did with Johnny Clegg at Le Zenit in Paris which is a beautiful venue. We did like a two and a half week run there, Mm. which for a seven and a half thousand seater venue is not too bad. Um, Amazing shows. You can actually, if you look on YouTube, Johnny Clegg and Savuka, Le Zenith, Paris, check out some of the shots. It, It had high production values, beautiful show. The band was at its peak, absolutely amazing. Uh, another great show that we did was Human Rights Now, which was in Abidjan. Uh, it was uh, Bruce Springsteen, Peter Gabriel, Sting, Tracy Chapman, Yusundur, Johnny Clegg. And we were we were topping the bill because it was in Africa. Wow. So it was really amazing experience. You know, um, and obviously I cannot leave out the uh fifa kickoff concert before the world cup yeah
0: another great show you know that's three (laughs) good so so um from the production that you work on right so and also me knowing you personally as well i know uh the projects that you have worked on, they are some of the the biggest projects on the continent, right? And also, they also have, they are also to another extent well resourced. You know, it's like people desire to use the right equipment, they desire to have the right skills in play to be able to put a production together, right? And now when you're looking at Africa across Africa, not 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 every project kind of works with those standards, you know? So I just want to see from your own view um, what might be some of the things hindering or or, or things that can help accelerate that.
1: Look, just because your event is under-resourced does not mean that it has to lack quality. You can use the resources at hand to the best possible effect and you can create a quality event yes certain parts of africa are under resourced um i find the the lack of attention to logistics more irritating than the lack of resources because i've i've always found that one can use the available resources. If one looks hard enough, one will find the the, uh, resources that are usable and you can put a good show together. You don't have to have the top of the range audio system, audio consoles, lighting rigs, as long as you've got equipment that works properly and you make it work properly and safely, you can put a good show together. Being under-resourced is no excuse for a lack of quality. Gotcha. you.
0: Now, from, for me at a personal level, right, like I would watch, um, there is something in Europe, I think it's called Song Contest or something like that. The Eurovision. Eurovision, right? You look at that thing and I'm thinking, the amount of money put in this thing, like when I'm looking, it, when I'm just looking at it, Mac, you know, and the amount of resources there, right? When I'm just looking at it, right? So for me, like, in my head, I'm thinking, in Africa, um, would there be a time I would see uh, 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 <laughs> It's like people are actually coming up with the ideas here yeah? and then they implement them. And, and yes, they do use the top of the range like that and it all makes sense, you know. So, so for me, it's just a wonder, you know, it's like, why would something like that take? And why do they do it like that and it works, you know? I personally think yeah. that the Eurovision
1: Song Contest, apart from being pretty much irrelevant, uh, okay. is
0: I don't know probably if
1: I, one of the most gluttonous uh, <laughs> events from an equipment perspective on the planet.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, they use way too much gear on it. Yes, I yes, think they, they could do that show with a quarter of the equipment yeah. and do a very good show. It's, it has become uh, just a fat and obese event, I think. That's gotcha. my personal opinion. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't, uh, and I, I just find that they, everyone shoves so much of the new stuff onto it. Yes. Uh, yes,
0: yes, yes.
1: it's, it's just using gear for the sake of using gear.
0: Good. Is now, the way I, I look at that good. particular event. Good. So now I'm going, I'm going to switch it to another conversation. Um. Uh, you've, you've, you have worked on many international acts, okay? Productions, you've worked on them, right? Now, uh, so, so let's just give an example. We've got a Justin Bieber concert, right? The production value of how everything's organized, how they do their schedules, what needs to happen, how they do their rehearsals to put together a show, graphically, lighting design-wise, mm-hmm. sound-wise, and all of that stuff, right? Uh, um, what, what, what will it take for Africa to kind of have that same model for some of the, the the talents? What are some of the challenges and how can we move to that place that also when we export our talents to the other parts of the world, when we get that to Europe or America, we're getting there with the same kind of standard and we've got our own production team that is that organized to deliver what we need to do. Well,
1: we have done, we, we, we have done that, this yeah in the past, and we still do it to yeah. this day. But do we... Uh, you know, the, the thing is, the main problem is that Africa is a little bit too big and the infrastructure a bit too weak to have a strong touring market. So a band from Lagos is generally going to play Abuja and Port Harcourt and Lagos. Maybe sneak over into Accra. Um, But there's no road network to truck equipment to Harare, for instance, or Khabarone, or down to South Africa. So... Essentially, there's these little clumps of music culture happening all over different parts of Africa. That's the way I see it. Gotcha. And so an artist becomes famous in their region, and then they kind of hit a bit of a ceiling and
0: it's difficult for them to go further than that. So, so is and, the, there, and then they wither and die a bit. So is there a way for this to change? Do you think? I, I'm like, was, why, why does it work there in Europe or America? I'm like, so, so is there going to be a day that is going to happen here? And is it going to be profitable? Like, well, like, yeah. you see, the thing is, you have to look at
1: the road networks in Europe and the States. You go everywhere. When you tour in Europe and the States, you go everywhere by truck and bus. Truck, bus, and ferry. That's how you move around. And the cities are closer together, much closer together. So you can, you can do 30 dates in a month. You can do more than 30 dates in a month, actually. I have done it before Um, but basically you can be playing a different town every single night because people are sleeping on the buses and you're waking up in the venues. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah you know so if you try that in you know even going between Lagos and Abuja for instance you've got a two or three day hiatus between shows yeah
0: it's like Um, a nightmare the roads even themselves yeah
1: exactly so that that is something that that will always hinder the african music scene in general from a logistical perspective but it's a very very important reason why there isn't a, a better touring circuit within Africa. Gotcha. Because it would work for the international promoters as well as African promoters. Gotcha. To have a, a far more vibrant touring circuit
0: within the whole of Sub-Saharan Africa. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Um, for some people, would want to achieve some of the things that you have achieved in your in your life in. In this, in this industry, in this space, what, what would you say to them? And this is someone who, who's just basically like just starting up or wanting to, to get into the industry. Well, you've got
1: to knock on a lot of doors to start with. You know, um, you need to keep phoning people.
0: Yeah.
1: If you want to work for a company, keep going there go and sit in their warehouse, learn to solder cables, and then solder cables for them for free. For instance, gotcha. You know, when I was freelancing in the 80s, I used to go and sit at the rental companies and solder cables for them because then I was in the warehouse, and whenever there was an an opening for someone to be needed on an event, I was there. So I would be the first person that they would. Gotcha. that they would hire. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so yeah. And, and also, just work hard.
0: Yeah, <laughs> thank you. You know, I'm like, I, I, I think we're gonna have different conversations. You know, because we don't even have enough time to get into the different aspects. But thank you very much, Mike. Like for just taking your time and coming through today to remember the plug event powered by end stages, you know. So I'm really super excited, also hosted by uh, Speedbeam Gearhouse. So thank you very much. Before we we end this conversation, is there anything else on your mind that you just want to say um, last? Uh. Oh, there's just so much? No, mind. there's, there's like, quite you know. a lot on my mind. Yes, yes.
1: But, you know, I just think that even though the industry's gone through this last couple of years of, you know, basically being destroyed, or half destroyed, quarter destroyed, whatever, um, I think everyone needs to just
0: keep on trying as hard as possible. Thank you for that. I again, Matt. I think, again, Mike, I think we, been we enjoyed pleasure enjoy being here. Yes. It cool. Cheers, Thank bye. you. Thank cool. you. Bye. bye. Yeah.